Hi, I'm Clay Berkland, Director of Ag Banking at Pioneer Bank and Trust and the host of the local podcast. On this episode, I'm talking with Dylan Clarkson, the President and CEO of Pioneer Bank and Trust, about the recent bank closings in the country. Welcome to the local podcast. I'm your host, Clay Berkland. My guest today is the President and CEO of Pioneer Bank and Trust, Dylan Clarkson. Late Thursday afternoon, there began to be some news going around the country about some bank closures. We've had some phone calls, and I would just like to get out in front of everyone with some information about this that hopefully will make you feel a little better informed and a little safer about your banking relationship. Dylan, thank you for being our guest today. Thank you for having me, Clay. It's fun to work with you every day, but I don't get to go to your podcast, attend your podcast very often. So this is fun. Good to be here. Well, we're discussing a topic I consider you an expert in. Uh, Lightly... uh, I'll ask that you give us an overview of what happened last week. Uh, how did it happen? And uh, I think most of our folks' final question at the end of the day is, is my money safe? So if I may, have you begin uh, a brief overview? Sure. Uh, so <clears throat> w- within a week's time, uh, really starting with a, a smaller bank uh, called Silvergate Bank, which was closed by their owners, different than a regulatory action. And then uh, Friday morning, Silicon Valley Bank, uh, the 16th largest bank in the United States, was closed by its federal regulators. And then on Sunday night, Signature Bank, based out of New York City, was closed by the uh, New York Depar- State of New York Department of uh, Banking Services. So... Um, of the three closures, two of them were by banking regulators. So I think any, uh, certainly Sunday evening, if not Monday morning, um, any banker, big or large banker in the um, United States would have been watching these stories, trying to pick up any similarities or really get a handle on what was going on. So, yeah, thurs- since Thursday night, I've been. Um, pretty uh, glued to every article or podcast that I could read. and So sadly, businesses close across America daily, um, and it's not, except in a specific area, really big news very often. But when banks start to close, that does catch national attention. For sure, it does. And uh, these closures were were very unique from what I would consider the, the core – um, services of traditional community banks across this country and, and particularly in our tri-state region. Um, you know, e- easy to look back now and, and, and read and study the cases, at least with information flowing as, as quickly as it does. But what was re- unique about this was the size of the bank. Um, in the case of Silicon Valley Bank, that was, as I mentioned earlier, that was the 16th largest bank in the United States. And for all the listeners out there, just to, to give you a scale, banks are, when you hear bankers or industry experts refer to the size of a bank, they're referring to the total asset size. So just to give you a scale, Pioneer Bank and Trust is a $1 billion bank, which means we have a billion dollars in total assets. Silicon Valley Bank, at the time that they closed, were just over $200 billion in total asset and la- asset size. And then at the very top end of the scale would be uh, Wells Fargo, which is, I mean, they're 
usually one, two, or three of the largest banks in the United States. And that is a $1.7 trillion, with the T, dollar bank. So um, it was the size of the bank closures. Uh, the other two banks that were closed, uh, as I mentioned earlier, was Signature Bank in New York. That was about a $90 billion bank. And then uh, Silvergate Bank, also in California, was about a $15 billion sized bank. So, um, of course, the two larger ones really stuck out. In loose terms, what what unwound Silicon Valley Bank? And did we know what was going to happen Monday? You know, <clears throat> that's the that's the tricky part uh, of that analysis. From the information that I can get, and there's, frankly, there's probably too much of it out there, but I, I try to get as reliable sources as I possibly can. We, I always like to reference that there are facts and there are opinions, and I'm trusting on you for facts today and not opinions. <laughs> I'm working on it, <laughs> for sure. Um, so, you know, b- back to your question, what, what was, you know, I looked for what was similar in all three of these banks, and they were extremely, extremely focused on one specific industry. industry. Um, and then even more specific than that, the S- Signature Bank and Silvergate Bank were very, very um, involved in the crypto space and banking those investors. Silicon Valley Bank, on the other hand, was um, a specialist bank for venture capitalists in the tech industry in Silicon Valley, right? That's the arguably yep. the home of American tech. And no, um, when I looked at publicly available information as of the end of the year, that's the most recent what's called call report data, um, they were a profitable bank. Um, they were a well-established bank. And, and certainly over the years, they have weathered and been in the middle, middle of how many different dot-com booms and tech booms. Did they have a concentration of deposits from cryptocurrency as well? Was there a crossover there? They had, I, I, from what I can tell, they did have some exposure to the cryptocurrency industry. But what I think is most troubling about Silicon Valley's bank failure, in my opinion, was um, when they had so, – so they banked venture capitalist firms. So they, they had extraordinary deposit growth. It grew about four times their size in three years. Well, most banks in this country really grew significantly after the pandemic, and there was just so much government money out there. But there was also a bunch of venture capital money out there. So they went from a I'll go back to the total asset size. They went yeah. from a fifty billion dollar bank to a two hundred billion dollar bank in less than three years. So they had, uh, as I said earlier, many banks grew in that time period. They grew extraordinarily. Uh, so, I mean, they had deposit concentrations of very uh, tech-focused firms where they uh, – that's who they banked. Um, many, many depositors in well in excess of 100 millions in deposit. To give you a scale, um, a, f- a frame of reference, we've often heard with a bank failure the $250,000 yeah. FDIC yep. guarantee. Uh, well, the – Best, I've consistently read articles that refer to of their roughly $190 billion on deposit, about 8% of that fell within the $250,000 limit, insured limit. So remarkably concentrated, which is an area of risk. 
and we're talking about dynamics in their customer base that don't cross over very well on average with the customer base of our tri-state area. Uh, we don't have very many $100 million depositors or $200 million depositors. We tend to have most of our customer base, the 250000 below folks that are perfectly safe with their money in a FDIC institution, FDIC insured, excuse me, institution. Would that be accurate? Uh, for sh- for sure, Clay. And of course, when these <laughs> it seemed like the news was really piling on top of each other this weekend, especially with Signature Bank on, you know, you started the weekend on Friday morning with a major bank closure and ended the weekend on Sunday night with another one. Now the Silvergate Bank, that with the failure of the FTX um, cryptocurrency um, exchange in November, Silvergate, had, there had been quite a bit of information on them. So that was one I was watching. The other two were a, a real surprise. But the kind of long-winded point I'm trying to make here is that I really closely started to see what these failures had in common to see if this is something, I mean, all bankers should be watching this, but to see if this is something that would have tentacles into South Dakota, Montana, Wyoming, and really a lot of the other community banks in this country. And I just don't see a correlation there. Um, Keeping in mind that I would generally be consistent with the FDIC's definition of a community bank. And the feds being feds can overcomplicate this a little bit, but uh, one of the most salient pieces to me, meaningful pieces of, of what is a community bank, and that is not having any one particular concentration of customers or goods and services that you offer your trade area more than 50% of what you do. And I just, you know, I'm constantly visiting with other uh, community bankers, not only in South Dakota, but around uh, the country. Uh, I'm on the South Dakota Bankers Association Board of Directors, so through that I visit with South Dakota bankers all of the time um, and am involved in another group where I'm able to see other community banks within that billion-dollar size, similar to us. And none of us can operate in such a small with such a small focus of customers. We have to truly be community banks. You know, we have to provide and want to provide a vital service to our community. We will bank gas stations, ranchers, fertilizer companies. <laughs> you bet. Whoever walks in the door. So we have a lot of diversity along with uh, all of our other community banks in, in our tri-state area. I, I don't think anyone's customer mix looks remarkably different than ours. <laughs> I really don't think so either. I mean, I, I think about our day-to-day competition. We're, we're competing for the same base of, of customers across this, across this state. So uh, to me, I, especially during this um, situation with these other large banks that have failed, really, when you peel back the onion, you, there's very distinct differences among these institutions than there is into really what I would say most of the community banking industry in South Dakota yeah. and beyond. So I, I just US. said I'm going to ask for fact and not opinion, but I think <laughs> this question is probably going to be more opinion than fact. So, and, and I we haven't visited about this topic specifically yet, but uh, they they did have a middle of the night convention um, in the House and Senate to prevent uh, probably a widespread run on banks would be the best definition mm-hmm. and, and try to curb that a little bit. Sure. Uh, 
do you think we've mitigated those risks with the conversations that were had and what what the Fed has promised to do in making depositors whole? I think it was accounted for in 2008. Yeah. And um, I think w- what what I believe happened, or I don't believe it did happen, and, and I think what you're asking is, so the FDIC Secretary um, Yellen um, met with the president, the FDIC, regarding – uh, Signature Bank and Silicon Valley's bank being what's called system- identified as systemically important in the banking industry. Uh, my understanding, it requires the concurrence agreement of all the president, um, the secretary of treasury, and the head of the FDIC. There may be one other agency I'm missing in there, but they have to mutually agree that a failing financial institution is systemically important and a what that does, once that has been designated, then it ensures effectively all depositors there. You got to keep in mind, there were depositors at Silicon Valley Bank uh, firms, tech firms, you know, keep in mind, they're collecting venture capital dollars. So huge deposits. Um, There was one case that had about 487 million on deposit, one entity. Um, This is who they banked. So, um, you know, you call it, I'm struggling to call it a bailout or not. No, it isn't taxpayer funded. Um, but that determination was made. That's how those customers were made whole. Um, that cost will be borne by the other roughly 5,800 banks that operate in the United States through a replenishment of, a, of the deposit insurance fund, which is the insurance fund that in covers the 250,000 and now well beyond that. All FDIC banks pay in pay premiums to cover their deposit dollars. Exactly. So those premiums have built up over time to offset a situation like this. And now we're going to have a premium hike. <laughs> <laughs> kind of like a hailstorm to your community causes yeah. everyone's insurance to go up. This will cause our premiums you, you for FDIC well. insurance to go up. Yep. You bet it will. So what what do you feel this means to our small business owners in the Black Hills? Do they do anything different? Do they keep doing what they've done and just well, keep their ears open? You know, again, um, I think community banks, and there's a lot of data that supports this. Uh, the FDIC republishes a quarterly banking profile in all banks in the United States. Um, I think that um, the very vast majority of community banks in the United States and in South Dakota and our tri-state area are very sound. They just can't operate like a very focused uh, lender and deposit gathering bank can. Um, I I would always encourage uh, any business person or, or individual to have a good conversation with their banker. Talk to them. Um, I think what will get you in trouble especially as this is now becoming, as, as we probably all expect, extremely political, and which administration caused this, did deregulation yep. cause this, so on and so forth. Um, forget that. We get news way too fast. We get it instantly, and now we're trained to be glued to our phones. I'm speaking mm-hmm. to myself. Yeah. Um, go to your banker. Talk to them. They will want to talk to you about the condition of their bank, and I believe that you will be pleased with their answer. And, and go home reassured. Absolutely. We've talked about this privately quite a little, um, and I'm probably straying slightly off topic from our our conversation regarding events in our industry in the last week, but probably in the last 12 months now, it would be safe to say, 
a topic on everyone's mind has been interest rates. They've gone up. Tell me when they're going to stop. So yesterday, not, not fair of me at all. Right? <laughs> yesterday, my my answer would have been different than it might be today. Um, so there is a market called Fed Funds Future, which is every expert um, predicting on what the Fed is going to do with interest rates. I think at the next Fed meeting in March, a twenty five basis point increase is likely. Now, a week ago, that was a 50 basis point increase. Um, Inflation is still there. Um, Do I think we could be looking at rate cuts towards the end of the year? A lot of the market does. Um, You know, commonly read that the Fed, um, in their obligation to, to the citizens of the United States, needs to be transparent. And in analyzing their comments and statements, interest rates will rise until inflation is under control or something breaks. We had two very large bank failures in less than a week's time. Pretty big news. Did something break? Perhaps. Should that temper off some of the rate increases? I think so. But we still have to contend with inflation. And to abandon a rate increase right now may even further erode confidence in the Fed. They have to at least do 25 basis points for credibility's sake. If and the else. market likes predictability. We need it, yep. yeah. I do not think, um, you probably started with this question, Clay, but I do not think, just for clarity's sake, the failure of the two banks over the weekend um, on Friday and Sunday and then earlier Silvergate Bank, which was by... Uh, the ownership of the bank and board of directors. I do not believe that that indicates a problem in the banking industry in the country. They're just, they're very unique institutions. So Dylan, I feel like we've covered quite well what happened. Um, I guess there's still a little bit of of how it happened to me is from my perspective and where I sit, um, I'm not sure how, where that how derived from. Was it the, the customers they served? It was, you know, armchair quarterbacking, really really unfair to these big banks right, that, that right. failed now that we have the data. But it was a concentration issue. So, um, you know, watching these events unfold, of course, I'm trying to figure out, okay, what, is this like many banks in the United States? Is this like the classic community bank in South Dakota more specifically? And quickly learn, no, it isn't. Um, but in the case of, of Silicon Valley Bank, um, there were their industry leaders, their customers with these massive deposits, very concentrated deposits. And I believe it was on Thursday afternoon, uh, one of their venture capitalist clients explained to his customers, asked his customers to start removing money from Silicon Valley Bank. That's perhaps... The scariest part of this, this was a classic depression era run on deposits, except that now news travels in six seconds. It's not a buggy ride or a, or a horse or a and car And with online ride. banking, we can take our money out overnight. Just like that. Just it, like that. And it happened. I can tell you, it clearly was a self-fulfilling prophecy. You know, there's today, there's all sorts of administration finger pointing and and banking regulation questions coming up. The Fed should have caught this. The Fed should have caught this. Well, I know what exam cycles are like at 200 times smaller than they are. 
what the Fed could not do or a state regulator could not do is predict a classic run on deposits. You know, you look yeah. at the, the prior crises in this country, um, 08, 09, SNL crisis in the 80s, that was credit quality issue on that side of the balance sheet. That was bad loans. That was not the case today. Um, the deposits left at once. But as, again, I look out my window, I don't have that customer base, and I don't think no. my friends and Pure or Bismarck or Mile City have that customer base either. I think we're pretty community bank focused in our region. And we can't, you know, Clay. I, you're right. We don't. You know, most community banks can't and choose not to be in a position of that concentration. We can't make a living being a banker in Western South Dakota or Montana, Wyoming, and many of the other states in the union and, and have this focused of a customer base. It just wouldn't pay the bills. We don't. Yeah. Um, and there's certainly a risk component to it. And that is for sure what all three of these banks had in common. It was a really, really focused either cryptocurrency or tech and venture capital centered deposit base, customer base. So I, I like what I'm hearing from you there. So the last question I have, and I ask you to reiterate something you pretty much told me earlier, but I want to talk to my mom, and I want to talk to my neighbor, and I want to tell them that they're okay. Have that conversation. Community banks in this country are well capitalized and sound. I think that's the best information I can get from you today. Thank you, Dylan, for your time. Any things you'd like to add? Thank you for this opportunity. Um, as I said earlier, um, for those of you listening to this, if you haven't already, have these conversations with your bankers. They would be anxious to. Um, be wary of everything that you are seeing on your mobile device, on the television, on the radio, except for this podcast. Listen to that one. <laughs> it's Thank not you all. all bad news out there. No, it is not. Thank you, Clay. Thank you, Dylan. This has been the local podcast with your host, Clay Berkland, Director of Ag Banking at Pioneer Bank and Trust. Pioneer Bank and Trust. Member FDIC.